Talkback Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Good morning and welcome to Talkback Gardening. Wonderful weather for this beautiful autumn weekend, John Lamb. Yes, good morning, Deb. Good morning, gardeners. Wonderful sunshine. The sky is just so blue, blue, blue. It's very nice just looking at the sun. It certainly is. Um, and I'm seeing a bit of colour out the window here at Collinswood. Uh, see a bit of red in the top of some of the trees and some yellow behind. So we are seeing that beautiful change in the seasons. Yes, and all we need is a few cold mornings or cold nights. And I think we'll see the colour change quite dramatically here in the plains. It's obviously that the colour on the plains is not nearly as good as it is up on the hills simply because of that uh, temperature factor. But uh, we're going to talk tomatoes this morning, Deb, and very shortly we'll be talking to one of our top tomato agronomists, Dominic Cavallaro. And the reason we're going to talk to Dominic is because we've taken a look at the results of the end of tomato season survey and there's some very interesting stats coming out of that. But what do the stats mean? What uh, and, and what can we learn and how can we become better tomato? growers. We'll do talk to Tom and Dominic very shortly. Yes, and maybe that will mean 2024 tomato season will be better for all the home gardeners. I've also got two April ABC Gardening Australia magazines to give away as well. So uh, we're going to have a chat with uh, Dominic and hear John's results of Tomato Season Survey 2023 right now. But if you have a, a tomato or a vegetable question, you'll want to put that to Dominic Cavallaro and to John Lamb. So if you'd like to jump in the queue, feel free to call now on one. 300 891 and we'll try and get back to some more general talkback gardening questions a little bit later in the program. It was a better season than many people anticipated in terms of tomato growing, but it wasn't without its problem. And uh, you'll find that uh, many people uh, found that there was the biggest problem was slow growing, slow ripening of the fruit. Why was it so? <laughs> Uh, It's also exposed uh, a number of other issues that I think we need to take a look at. So let's say good morning to our tomato agronomist, Dominic Cavallaro. Good morning to you, Dominic. Good morning, John. Good morning, Deb. So we had good tomato growing conditions here in uh, the home garden land. How about commercial growers? How did they end up? Uh, They they sort of experienced uh, similar... uh, problems to home gardeners so um, in spring we had uh, overcast and cool weather so that sort of uh, delayed the sort of growth and sizing of the fruit and also the ripening so uh, um, yes so they sort of had the same similar issues. The the nice thing is that uh, okay there's the problem and uh, you're able to solve the problem with technology so let's take a look at this problem by far the biggest issue that came out of the survey was the fact that the fruit was very slow to ripen. Why is it so, and can we do anything about it? Um, it, it with the um, growers on the Adelaide Plains, a lot of them have got greenhouses, so that gives them the ability to um, uh, retain heat and have higher humidity, so that sort of brings the, the tomatoes on a lot earlier. So temperature is fairly important for, you know, the converting the sunlight into uh, by photosynthesis into uh, sugars for, for the plant and for growth and um, and that sort of uh, the advantages in a home garden um, you're really relying on mother nature and some warm days to turn up so that you can get that same effect 
I record a lot of uh, weather information, and the factor that came through, it was not only cool, lots of cool days, but it was also very, very cloudy, and our hours of sunshine per day was down by at least an hour, over an hour a day uh, during that summer period. Does that have much uh, effect on the plants? Uh, Yes, it does. I I deal with a number of hydroponic growers, and they'll see um, they can actually tell with their fertiliser units that when there's cloudy conditions, the tomato plants aren't feeding much. As soon as they get sunlight, that activates the plants to, to grow again and all of a sudden they start to feed and need more nutrients. And that's no different to home gardens. You know, we've got cloudy conditions. The plants aren't getting enough um, uh, light to um, for growth and uh, uh, to put on... Um, tomatoes sizing and, and leaves. Okay, so there's the problem. Can we fix it? What do commercial growers do uh, in terms of nutrition or technology to perhaps uh, offset the fact that the fruit is ripening slowly? So one of the things from a fertiliser point of view is that they, they sort of concentrate on things like potassium and magnesium uh, to help with the ripening side of things. So uh, uh, making sure that um, you have adequate levels are those when you're wanting to sort of you know, fill the fruit with sugars and carbohydrates and uh, and get the colours there. Um, so potassium like and magnesium are two elements that may, we yes. need to make sure goes on. What about phosphorus? What's its role? Uh, phosphorus is important for a number of things. Firstly, establishing the plant. So uh, it's, it's important for root growth. <clears throat> but what phosphorus can do is up regulate within the plant one of the hormones that sort of triggers the ripening process so uh, um, that's another trick that you can actually do in a home garden if you're not sure of your phosphorus levels when it comes to um, that sort of time of the year when you want the fruit to ripen you know just top it up with a bit of phosphorus okay so phosphorus is important and potash is particularly important when do you need to have that uh, those nutrients uh, ready for the tomato plants? Is that a matter of getting it on before you sow your plants or do you put it on after when the plants are not growing and not ripening? Ideally, you put it on before. Um, the plants are actually very discerning in regards to the nutrients they need. So, um, you know, they'll, ideally, you put it in um, uh, pre-planting, you know, getting your mound ready, getting your compost in and um, uh, getting those nutrients right. Um but it's really important to actually have really strong root growth because the cooler temperatures can slow down your roots. So what's the kind of nutritional uh, recipe for putting into the ground before you plant your tomatoes? Um, the couple of things that uh, you look for is <clears throat> pH. So uh, check your soil pH and if you've got acid soils then use some lime. If you've got um, alkaline soils, a bit of gypsum. So calcium is really important for fruit strength, for root growth, um, and then some compost, and then a general NPK plus trace element. So that's sort of a a good way of uh, getting your plants started. Next to slow ripening was the problem of uh, blossom end rot, and perhaps uh, that also needs to be noted, and and, uh, uh, the the link between uh, blossom end rot and calcium. Correct, yes. There's two, in my experience in the commercial world, um, there's two things I look at with blossom end rot. Firstly, adequate calcium, because what a tomato will do is that if it goes into water stress, it takes the water out of the fruit, and if it's a bit sluggish in replacing that water at night, 
then the cells at the end of the fruit suffer and they collapse. So, uh, so calcium is really important to make sure those those uh, tomatoes are strong so they can handle that. The other thing I look for is just to make sure you've got even watering because um, if the plant doesn't have enough water, um, uh, irrigation water, then uh, it can't replace the water within the fruit uh, if it's taken out on a, on a warm day. So, Let's come back uh, to that calcium. And, and uh, people say, uh, well, how do I get calcium into the soil for my plants? Uh, you mentioned gypsum. Is that yes, adequate? Yes. Yeah, gypsum or lime is, is, is quite adequate. Um, if um, uh, there are fertilisers around, which uh, things like calcium nitrate are a good uh, fertiliser, tend to put that on after you get fruit set. So it's uh, important not to push your tomato plants too much until you get... Um, I'd say that the first truss, when it's the size of a 50 cent piece, then... Um, Things like calcium nitrate are a good fertiliser then to right. feed the plant. Garden centres, if you're listening, will you please start stocking <laughs> calcium nitrate? <laughs> it's very, very valuable. So uh, would I be right in saying that uh, before you plant, you put on gypsum because gypsum's not only calcium, it's also got sulphur in it. Is that yes. correct? Yes, correct, it is. Yeah, And that helps with the soil structure and um, uh, and makes, the, makes it easier for the plants to move their roots through the through the soil, you know, to um, build, you know, build up a reserve of accessing water and nutrition. Okay, so before you plant, make sure you've got a good balanced fertiliser, uh, adequate phosphorus and potash um, and magnesium, and then uh, as we move in towards uh, blossom, uh, a, a fruit set, a calcium nitrate might be needed without going overboard on it. So let's move from nutrition, if we may, and time of planting, Dominic. <laughs> talk to the garden centres and they say, John, our busiest tomato selling weekend is the weekend after footy, and that's late September. And yes. it, the survey indicated that the best tomato crops were grown by those that sowed their crops in late October and even early November. What's going on? Well, it, it's um, uh, unfortunately gardeners like uh, commercial growers at the mercy of the weather. So this last season, um, the early tomato plantings would have got affected by uh, the cool temperatures and lack of light. Uh, and and so that would have delayed things. And also what tends to happen is you get uh, the plant not establishing well. So the roots are a bit slow, a bit sluggish because the ground's cold. It come you know that sort of late October November we're getting into warmer weather, and uh, the plants are really happy you know pushing the roots out, getting that sort of nice vegetative growth to sort of then set itself up to have strong flowering and ideal temperatures so uh, you know temperatures night temperatures below you know sort of twelve degrees is not ideal for flower setting so you can have a really nice plant you see these flowers come along and then all of a sudden they drop off and thinking oh what's going on. During Talkback Gardening, we focus a lot on soil temperatures and that magic figure, and I call it a magic figure, of 16 degrees. Would uh, uh, Do you agree that 16 degrees is needed to sort of stimulate the plants? And, and uh, should we be waiting, uh, even though it might be sort of a late season, a cool season, do we wait till it gets to 16 or uh, can we sort of uh, um, put them in and hope? Uh, yeah, you can put them in in hope, but, uh, but as you said with your survey, if you wait a little bit longer, 
uh, and the soil temperature is ideal, um, then uh, the plant's established really well and you're not sort of trying so hard to get the plant and the fruit setting. So uh, that temperature is very, very important. All right, and uh, we've now got uh, regular soil soil. Uh, temperatures coming in with uh, news on Talkback Gardening. Uh, do we move on to another area? Soil stimulants. Now, it was interesting that more than 80% of those that replied, both good crops and poor crops, are using a soil stimulant, particularly that um, seaweed-based one. I won't mention dra- trade names, but uh, you can buy it as a liquid or a powder. Um, why, why, why are people sort of saying, let's use it? Is it because uh, of the advertising, or are there big benefits in using <laughs> a soil stimulant? Uh, those uh, the sort of seaweed type store s- stimulants are really good because um, a couple of things. One is they actually help with uh, improving digestion of any compost that's there, but more importantly, they actually help with just activating root growth. So when you get cool temperatures or high temperatures, um, you know we're busy looking at the top of the plant and checking the flowers and the fruit, but we forget that uh, the roots are important and the roots are the first things that suffer stress, and we don't actually see that. So these um, soil stimulants are very good at just maintaining root growth, uh, and, you know, it, it's related to, you know, fruit setting, fruit dropping, and fruit quality. The stronger the roots uh, through these sort of high and low temperatures uh, means that um, you get uh, better quality fruit numbers and size. Should it be applied before you plant or uh, is it uh, best to wait and uh, spray the plants or put it onto the plants themselves? Um, either. I, I put, you know, my recommendation is always you know, when you put your seedlings in, put a, 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 um, a stimulant in the soil just to really get those roots coming out of the cells into the soil. Uh, and then the next key period is um, after the plants have set fruit and uh, um, another good time to... Uh, uh, put it on the soil, um, and some of them can be applied at um, uh, at flowering time as well. Some of them will actually have on the container, you know, applied foliar at flowering, and, and that's really to help boost the strength of the flowers. And through the leaves, you can actually also uh, uh, keep the roots active as well. Our guest this morning is Dominic Cavallaro, tomato agronomist in the Virginia region. And uh, we'll continue uh, and coming back and look at the importance of soil biota. Mm. But, Deb, I suspect that we're probably getting a question or two. Yes, we would love your questions on tomatoes or vegetables whilst we've got Dominic Cavallaro with us. So call in now on 1300 222 ABC, or you can use the ABC Listen app on your smartphone. Make us your favourite and just tap the ABC Listen app to get through to us. We'll answer those questions in just a moment. This is Talkback Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide. We are talking about the results of John's wonderful 2023 tomato survey, tomato season survey, which you got well over a thousand responses to. So thank you to everybody who took part in it. Incredible. 1,162. That is wonderful. So Dominic Cavallaro is independent horticultural consultant, veggie specialist. He's here to help. If you've got a question on veggies or tomatoes, call now. We've only got him for a few more minutes on 1300-222-891. Beryl in Cummins has done just that. Good morning, Beryl. Oh, good morning. Um, for years, I have grown beautiful Apollo tomatoes. 
plants, Apollo improved. For the last three lots, the plants have been very disappointing. Instead of being tall and, and uh, beautiful fruit, they've been uh, bushy and, and uh, the, fr plant, uh, the fruit has been squashy and, and not at all nice. And I'm just wondering if, the, if there's something gone wrong with the breeding of this particular um, Apollo Improve because other people are having the same problem with this particular tomato. Beryl, I'm glad you raised that issue because uh, the survey, in the, it pushed Apollo down uh, where Mighty Red, I think, was the most popular one and then uh, Roma and then Grossless and uh, Apollo was usually sort of up there but it was put down and in the comments that came through uh, people were very, very unhappy with uh, Apollo. So, uh, Dominic... Um, are you able to put any light as to why they've supposedly improved the variety and put in probably more disease resistance, but in putting in the disease resistance, have they lost, lost some of its adaptability? Um, one of the things that I look for with uh, newer varieties is, um, a bit like we talked before, John, is just sort of check root growth. Um, uh, so it, it may be that they just need a bit more uh, TLC for... Uh, pushing the roots, so compost, um, calcium is really important, and phosphorus for root growth. Um, and because you're putting a lot of nutrition into the soil, and the softness of the fruit uh, really relates to how well the uh, plants are actually pulling up uh, the nutrients from the soil. So, you know, and, the, and those sort of seaweed extracts, um, when you're, you know, uh, if you've still got the plants there, just check the root growth and just sort of see what's happening there. That's that's one of the key things. I yes. Suggest. Could it be a problem with breeding? It could be. If you find that you're using the same thing year after year, you know, put your gypsum in, compost and NPK fertiliser, then it could be that um, you know, um, you know, under different growing conditions, they're not quite the, the same uh, uh, tomato under those sort of same conditions. Commercial growers are always testing varieties um, like we do with home gardens. So, uh, uh, your, and your survey is really important because it's sort of supporting that other ones are a bit easier to grow. So yes, it could uh, be under that environment. Yes, and the fact the that Ap Apollo was Apollo and then it came out as Apollo improved. And I can remember with Mighty Red, uh, because of the cost of the seed, uh, people were substituting and there was big problems back then. So, uh, Beryl, it could actually be a, a breeding problem and uh, suggest that you try another variety, pick up some Apollo and uh, another variety, put them side by side, but take on board the fact that maybe Apollo just needs a little bit more of the TLC that uh, Dominic is talking about. Yes, so Beryl, thank you for raising an issue that obviously came out in the survey as well. Now, we're just parting from tomatoes for a moment. Robin in Nova Gardens has a question about pumpkin. Good morning, Robin. Oh, good morning, Deb and John and Dominic. Um, I have a, a Queensland blue pumpkin that has come up in the garden and it has a pumpkin on it. Oh, perhaps half the size of a Queensland Blue now, that it should be. Um, I'm just wondering, um, will it, uh, with the weather getting cooler, will it ripen, or should I perhaps pop something under the base of the pumpkin, just in case it would rot? I'm not sure how I can tell when I'm to pick it, but it's, it's certainly not a full-size pumpkin. Okay, what do you think there, Dominic? Uh, yes, we're, we're about to get into um, uh, uh, 
uh, cooler weather and potential rain. So propping it up off the soil is important because it'll stop it from rotting. Um, we're still getting some sort of uh, warmish weather. So, you know, certainly the next um, early next week, we're getting, we're getting warm weather to uh, help um, um, push those uh, um, punk and growth a bit. So, yeah, they probably need a bit more time. And it wouldn't hurt to you know, top it up with a bit more MPK just to make sure there's enough nutrient there to help fill out the uh, the pumpkin. And watch out for powdery mildew. Mm. And mildew, yes, yes, have, definitely. Yes, that is on the leaves now, yes, yes. Right, uh, uh, well, uh, one of the... Uh, right. Yeah, one of the fungicides uh, that'll, that'll, that control your, your powdery mildew, but uh, we won't diverse. We'll... Okay, well, thanks, Robin, um, for that call. And in fact, Neil rang with an identical question, so you've answered that for both of them. Uh, just on the text line, David Mount Pleasant says, uh, had a 440 gram tomato a couple of years ago that was a mortgage lifter variety in my polytunnel beauty. Uh, a beauty it was. Thanks, Dave. And um, Wilson in Malvern joins us. Uh, you would like to know how to manage soil diseases for tomatoes, Wilson. Yes, um, thank you, Dominic, and, and thank you, John, as well for the um, for the excellent survey again this year. Um, my question, and, and I get, is really about soil diseases and, and specifically root not root not nematode, because I I had brand new soil and compost this year, and pulling up my plants, which did quite well this year, they had. Um, you know, all that very telltale signs of root knot nematode, the, you know, the lumps and bumps all along the soils and along the, the roots rather. So um, I guess the question is, um, how does that get managed? I mean, is there any sort of guidance from um, commercial horticulture that might be relevant for the home gardener? Uh, commercially, what we do is um, there are some uh, um uh, cover crops that we use that actually, uh, when they're rotary hoed into the soil, um, you know, break down and 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 um, reduce the the nematodes. So it sounds like you've got root knot nematode. Um, I'm not sure if they're available for uh, home use. The the brassica crops, I suppose, oilseed, uh, the the rapeseed probably is Correct. the one that they could get from a seed merchant and and uh, grow that and uh, dig that in before well into six weeks before they start planting it might help. But uh, there are varieties which have got resistance to uh, root knot nematode. Uh, Mighty Red is one of those. I'm not too sure the other ones. Uh, uh, do you look for resistance in varieties, Dominic? Uh, yes, we do. So they're uh, commercially. We actually uh, the growers will actually buy uh, have a um, they'll graft um, a variety onto the roots uh, and onto rootstock that is uh, got resistance to root knot nematode and some oh, of the smart one. hysterians. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, um, again, I'm not sure if that's available from home gardens gardeners, but certainly brassicas being grown and uh, and maybe just rest that area. You know, grow some brassicas and mulch them into the into the soil, and then come back the the following year. Yes, and during so, summer, uh, if we get a hot summer, using solarisation, so you're not growing your tomatoes in that area, but rest it, solarise the soil, and away you go next year. Correct. Yes. Good luck, Wilson. Hope it goes better for you next year. Also on the text line, another texter says, my Apollo Improved didn't grow more than about 30 to 40 centimetres high and didn't fruit that well. More of a ground cover than a bush. Uh, Mary at Cuddly Creek says, I have to share the weight of a seeded black Russian 
0.499 of a gram. <laughs> Mary, that's outrageous. And Ria asks this question, Dominic. What if we plant in late September or early October and cover them with clear plastic to warm them up with, uh, um, until the weather, warmer weather hits? Yeah, perfect, exactly. And that's what um, we do with um, commercial growers that do that in uh, cooler regions. They'll cover it, with, make up a frame um, with wire and then just put plastic on top, put a couple of holes in there during as the temperature warms up um, just to, for airflow, and then once we get into warmer weather, then remove the plastic altogether. So it's great, all happening. In, it, it all happens in the soil, isn't it? Get your soil right in terms of temperatures. So if you can boost the soil temperatures uh, in September, uh, go for it. I guess is what Monica's saying. And uh, if you can't, well, then you perhaps might have to wait till late October. Um, and that then brings us back to uh, the soil again and the importance of soil health. Could it be, Dominic? We're focusing on the leaves, the fruit, and what's happening above the ground, and perhaps more attention to what's happening in the soil and the root system, and avoiding that particular word you've used a number of times, stress. Uh, yes, I think um, uh, if you know, your, your garden area is a great time of winter to put in the brassicas, as we talked about, and that actually helps put in um, a couple of things, unlocks the nutrients that there and they put it back in, in an organic form. Uh, you help build up the beneficial microbes to you know, compete with disease and compete with um, nematodes um, and um, yeah, actually prepare a nice, friable soil so when the roots get in there, they can actually grow really strongly. And as we mentioned before... I'm just conscious. I've got a number of issues, and I'm not not going to get through all of them. But perhaps the most imp- one of the most important ones was was mulching. Now, mulching has been a, a traditional element for tomato growers for many many years. But out of the survey came the fact that those that put on a thicker layer of mulch had better crops than those that have virtually a thin layer of mulch. Is there an explanation? Um, what, what happens with a thick layer of mulch, you'll start to get um, um, between the soil surface and the mulch, it starts to break down. And as in that process of breaking down, you get a slight temperature increase. Um, the other thing that's happening is you're, you're creating an environment where the mulch is continually breaking down. So you're putting in, you know, what you buy is a seaweed solution, you know, beneficial nutrients and, and, and fungi and bacteria into the soil continuously. So that it's a great way of actually um, promoting uh, root growth and also you're actually making sure that you retain moisture so they don't actually dry out. So, All right. Uh, so it, it, it affects the, the ability of the roots to grow and presumably also uh, uh, encourages the soil biota. It's exactly, yes. Yeah. Uh, so we come back to, we were talking before about the seaweed extracts. There are now a, a plethora of... Uh, products coming onto the market. Some of them are based on compost, uh, some of them are based on fish, um, and uh, some of them are a combination of the whole lot. Are they good value from a home gardening point of view? 
Oh, yes, they are in a few. You know, my grandfather was a market gardener, and the smellier they are, the better. So, uh... <laughs> uh, okay. Listen, uh, Shade, I, I can't let you go without talking about Shade. Now, it was a cool season, and uh, we didn't have much sun. And most people, or not most people, it, uh, uh, people sort of indicated whether did they use Shade or not. And it's interesting that those that had the best crops not only shaded their plants, they shaded them all through the summer period rather than just uh, on a hot day putting some shade up. Uh, is there a factor coming through there? Um, yeah, uh, a couple of things are happening. What you're trying to do is um, you know, maintain, you know, just provide some protection during extreme weather conditions, but also you, you, you're reducing wind around the plant. And winds are very, when you get a breeze coming through, a very strong way of actually, or a, a good way of actually uh, allowing the plants to dehydrate. So by doing the shade there, you're actually providing a bit of protection from the wind and dehydration. So the plants under uh, under stress and um, can grow, you know, more evenly. So no, great strategy. Some fascinating information coming out of the newsletter, and uh, uh, I think this week's Good Gardening newsletter had uh, a couple of pages of the results, so if you haven't got the newsletter, find somebody that <laughs> subscribes to the newsletter, or else you subscribe to the newsletter and then you can get some back issues out of it. Um, but before you go, Dominic, an issue that concerns me a lot, I get uh, berated often by talking about toxic chemicals, and and uh, farmers are often blamed for, uh, I suppose, the, the toxic chemicals that they are constantly using. And I'm very much aware that that was maybe of the past, and today and the future is very different. Could you just comment on how tomato growers and your commercial tomato growers uh, use or protect their plants from insects and disease without using, having to use the toxics? Um, yeah, the, the strategy nowadays is using integrated pest management. So uh, we'll actually uh, put into the, the better growers are using uh, predatory uh, insects to uh, control things. You know, one of the big issues, as your survey mentioned, was whiteflies. So we've actually got predators that uh, we put into the greenhouse that are commercially available that um, will re reduce the numbers, feed on the whitefly. And then we, if we do use a chemical nowadays, they have to be very friendly to the environment. So a lot of growers... It's interesting, the philosophy I use of farmers is that they grow their crop and they also grow their uh, IPM. So... Uh, it's a different way of thinking. Uh, What's IPM? IPM, Integrated Pest Management. Oh, right. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's all right. That's a standard language for garden, for home for uh, farmers. But, uh, yes. Dominic, on the text line, Kim from Mitchell Park says, we have wicking beds and dig in our banana skins, which provide potassium, and we have fabulous tomatoes. Um, Phil in Hawthorne says the difference between this year and 22 season was fruit set this year. I had virtually 100% pollination. I don't know what the pollinators were, but I suspect it might have been at night. And two quick questions before we let you go, Dominic. I know we keep saying we're going to let you go and we haven't yet. <laughs> but do they still grow the terminating variety Tellus, asks James from Hope Valley? Uh, not commercially, no. No. Okay. And Anne asks, are broad beans a good crop before tomatoes? 
yes, they are, because you get the joy of picking the broad, broad beans as well as uh, putting nitrogen and organic matter into the soil. Yes. And as for a determinate variety, that's one of those grow tomatoes that just grow to a certain height and they don't keep on growing, so you don't need a trellis. First prize is probably the best home garden variety that's available. Dominic, it's wonderful talking to you, and thank you very much for sharing your information. I know you're a very, very valuable... uh, uh, Your time is very, very valuable to you, and I would love to get you back and maybe just talk about what you as an agronomist do in terms of crop monitoring and how you actually work with the farmers so that they're growing the best crops with the least amount of of chemical and, and harmful issues and working with nature. But thank you for your contribution this morning. No worries. My pleasure, John, and thank you, Deb. Thank you, Dominic. Dominic Cavallaro, independent horticultural consultant and vegetable specialist. John, so many gems out of your 2023 tomato season survey, and great to hear those explanations from someone who does it commercially um, as well to help us out for season 2024. Yes, and over the next few months, we'll, at the appropriate time, we'll just go back to the survey, and uh, uh, you might know I'm using the survey, but I'm bouncing off the survey to put forward a particular issue and I think the value of it is tremendous and let me say thank you very much to the 1,162 people (laughs) that bothered to fill in the survey. You helped us all. Yes, it's very valuable. Thank you very much. If you would like to sign up for John Lamb's newsletter, just remember it is Good Gardening, J-O-N-L-A-M-B. Type that into your search engine and you can find that. We're returning to General Talkback Gardening Questions now. The phone number, 1300 991 Talkback Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Let's head to Nan. Sandra, you want to separate some blood lilies. Welcome to the program. Uh, Hi, Deb and John. Uh, Yes, I do. Um, They're in a very restricted area um, and I just want to lift them and separate them. But um, I don't know when because like now they're flowering. They're just coming to the end of flowering, but already the leaves have started to come out. So oh. <laughs> ideally, well, yeah. Yeah, the dilemma, when, dilemma. When do you do it? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, so uh, uh, have you had a reasonable uh, number of flowers and have they flowered for a reasonable amount of time? Uh, yes. Um, I think just about all of the, the bulbs did have a uh, flower spike. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think it's time to say thank you very much for your display this season and start thinking mm-hmm. about next year because the plant uh, has got to uh, regenerate. So it starts out with new root systems, it starts up with more new leaves and uh, eventually, uh, once it's been baked in the sun, it'll provide you flowers. So I would be digging them up now. Um, okay. And that would be a good idea if you want to separate them. You can. Um, you might. Uh, there might be an advantage in waiting another two or three weeks. Uh, but uh, the longer you leave it with the present mild weather, I think the more leaves you're going to get, and that just means that the more root growth you've got. And so the, when you dig, the more disturbance you're going to have uh, to that root system. So I'd be doing it pretty well this weekend if you can. Okay, excellent. I can do that. No worries. Excellent. Uh, You know what you're doing today, Sandra. Thanks very much for calling in. Uh, Let's go to Graham in Oakbank with a magnolia question. Hi, Graham. Hi, Deb, and hi, John. Um, Yeah, I've got a magnolia that we planted about six months ago, and the leaves are starting to turn yellow uh, from the bottom up. 
and they're dropping off. Right, are we talking about a teddy bear type of magnolia, an evergreen one, mm. or is it the deciduous mm. ones? No, it is an evergreen one. It's not a teddy bear, but uh, the, the brand was Inspiration. Um, I've got I've got the Latin name here, but uh, I don't think I can. No, don't worry about that. <laughs> no, it's just that there are evergreens and deciduous, and they are quite different. Uh, and the evergreens, uh, the teddy bear was one of the first that came out in uh, those little uh, very very attractive magnolias with the big leaves. If if the if it's only a few of the lower leaves going yellow, I wouldn't worry. What's the quantity of yellow leaves like? Yeah, it, um, well, it started off with one or two, and then that, it all started going a little yellowish, and then they go a very uh, strong yellow, and then drop off. Drop and, off, and then yeah. Get, yeah, um, and then you get uh, like twigs. Right. Which, uh, well, the plant uh, in, in the ground or in a container? No, it's in the ground. Yeah, it's been, okay. been in the ground about six months, and uh, yeah. we're no, about think... a metre high when we plant it. Well, if it's just a few of the old ones, what happens is uh, uh, the plant has got uh, its, nutri- uh, uh, its nutrients uh, going and flowing, but what happens is uh, there's leftover material. I call it gunk. <laughs> and the tree, That's the technical uh, very term, technical. is it? <laughs> yeah, and, and the tree actually uh, sort of decides, we'll get rid of the gunk, we'll put it into the oldest leaves. And it's usually the oldest leaves. Uh, uh, again, from a nutritional point of view, particularly if the plant is, is uh, short of nitrogen and, and some of the other elements, it will say, right, uh, what we'll do is we'll stop putting n- nutrients into the lower leaves, they can drop off, and we'll make sure that there's plenty of nutrients for the tip growth and the new growth and to me it's an indicator if you've got more than just a few going yellow it's saying uh, you need to uh, take more notice of your nutrition and probably uh, I'd be using liquid organic fertilizer on a regular basis Uh, uh, the granular fertilizers will solve the problem but it's very easy to overdo it and uh, so if you put on just a good uh, organic liquid fertilizer use one of the soil stimulants at the same time and do that now and uh, probably uh, that probably will look after it uh, for this autumn period but start next springtime on a monthly basis and put on a, a liquid organic fertilizer uh, maybe uh, uh, half strength on a monthly basis you might find that that's all it needs to perk it up Okay. Will the will the leaves regrow on the on those lower branches no, uh, where no. they're falling off? No, oh, and that, so that's the, we cut them off. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's the big yeah. problem with uh, those kind of magnolias, and uh, I, I would suggest that uh, not now, but in springtime, if it's going bare at the bottom, you start cutting branches back, and you'll find that it'll run to the uh, to the light for the light, and you'll get lots of uh, branches up the top and not down below. So thin out the branches up the top, cut them back, um, and uh, just, uh, but I wouldn't be cutting it back too hard. Get it growing again, getting some nice strong green leaves. So look after the nutrition now and in springtime, consider how you can actually reduce the branches, the length of the branches, and uh, encourage it to, to put more branches lower down in the canopy. Thanks very much for that, Graham. Good luck with it. Tony is in Broadview. Now, you've got a question about your veggie patch over winter, Tony. Yes. Hi. John, I've had a vegetable patch for 10 years, 
over the past few years, I've seen a marked decline in the in the quality of the vegetables that I've been growing. Mm. Even though I, I try and do the right thing and, and get a trailer of organic matter and and use uh, bottles of uh, microorganisms and some fertilizer, I was thinking this year perhaps I should put in a cover crop uh, over winter and uh, see if I can rejuvenate the soil. What are your thoughts about that? I think the way you're thinking is very, very sound there, Tony. Um, Could be that in uh, your haste and and enthusiasm, you're probably getting maybe a little bit too much maybe of nitrogen or it could be uh, there's an imbalance there. And your suggestion of using a cover crop is very, very sound. Um, And uh, the important thing is get it going now. Peas and, uh, and and a barley or something like that would be a good combination. The peas will give you nitrogen, and the the barley or a wheat or something like that would give you uh, lots and lots of, uh, of carbon type material. Um, or else you could just put in uh, uh, an oilseed rape or one of the brassicas. Um, that they w- would it, they would have a a different kind of an effect, but it would also give you the organic matter that you're looking for. So yeah, there's a choice of uh, of cover crops and I think using them this season probably would give you a good indication that just the way they grow they might sort of help just balance up what's going on in the soil and John once the soil once the plants have grown a certain height would I then just uh, slash it with the uh uh, you know, with the slasher and then till it back into the soil or just leave it on, on top? Oh, no, most important. Ideally, it's when the, the plants are just starting to form their flowers, uh, whether it's barley and uh, or whatever it is, they all flower. And if you can watch them, and when they're just starting to produce their little uh, seed heads or flowers, that's the time to get you get your maximum amount of, of organic matter and uh, nutrients coming from it and if you then uh, yeah, slash it, leave it on the ground for two or three weeks and then incorporate that organic matter into the soil. Now if you do that, if you put organic matter into the soil that's not composted, you need to wait probably at least six, maybe eight weeks before you actually start growing things in that area again. Right, okay. And would I just get it from a fodder store? Would I get, get yeah. the seeds from a fodder? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Going to a fodder store is fun. All the kind of things <laughs> that they grow there are quite amazing. Great. And, and talk to the people behind the counter and they'll give you an idea of what grows the best in your your area. Thank you, Tony. Chris is in Broken Hill. What's damaged your lawn, Chris? Well, that's the big question. Thanks for taking my call, John. And, um, I put in a roll-out Kikiri lawn just before Christmas. Anyway, after about six weeks, um, about 25% of the, the lawn just started to die off. And um, I've had various people look at it. The, the local gardening guy said it could have been a fungus, so I put on some fungus uh, gear, some uh, Macozep, and that didn't work. Um, and the latest diagnosis, it seems to be someone thinks it might be a thing called ground pearl. And um, this... Apparently, there's no cure for that. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, John Ground Pearl, but... Uh... Not, not under that name. There have been different kind of fungal problems. Um, when you say they're dying, did the, the, the plants, uh, the whole plants die, or did they die oh. quickly or slowly? A lawn. No, it's a lawn. It's a kikiri lawn. A lawn, lawn, I should say. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, as I said, after about six weeks, about 25% of the area just started to die off, get a lot of, you know, yellow thatching, uh, look very poorly, even though I watered it, it's got full sun, it's got everything right for Kikiri 
Broken Hill because normally in Broken Hill you can't kill Kikiri, you know, mm. but I've managed to kill 25% of it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there are things called uh, lawn mites. They can be very, very devastating and they're pretty almost impossible to see. Um, listen, there are a number of issues that could it could happen. The person who can help you is Stefan Palm. Stefan, if you look up uh, Munn's Lawns, uh, Stefan is the um, manager or owner of that store, but his knowledge of lawns is extraordinary. He puts in a, a blog every week on lawns in the Good Gardening newsletter, and uh, if you've got a lawn and you've got problems, make sure you read what he says because it's very, very topical. Uh, but uh, he, I think, will take probably a few minutes to ask you questions yeah. and I don't have that time to get you get the right give you the right questions to come up with a sensible answer but uh, uh, mites I think is is a problem the fact that there could be non-wetting soil is another problem there are particular uh, diseases fungal diseases that can attack a lawn due to uh, uh, whether it's it's wet soil or dry soil so I think ring Stefan Palm and he's away on holidays. <laughs> he's up the river this weekend, I know that. Uh, so sometimes during the week, and you'll find that uh, he's, he's got extraordinary, uh, excellent knowledge on, on what's going wrong with the lawn. He sure has. Thanks very much, Chris. If you haven't won anything from ABC Radio Adelaide in the last month and you would like to get your hands on one of two copies of ABC Gardening Australia for April, give us a call now, one 891 Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Mariana in McGill. Now you've got some scale on your lemon and lime trees, Mariana. Yes, I do. Uh, good morning to both of you. Um, I've never had scale on my lemon or lime tree, but this year it is prolific and I've got these beautiful big um, lemons that are like small footballs and they're covered in brown scale. Interesting. And it's a v, been a, an excellent season for scale. Lots of other insects, caterpillars and aphids, they haven't been much of a problem uh, for most in most areas, but scale has taken off. So uh, what you need to do is spray with an oil spray, a, a, a eco-oil or pest oil. It's a, a horticultural oil, not one of the winter oils. So spray it now or as soon as you possibly can. But the most important is next springtime, uh, probably towards the end of September, put on an oil spray and follow it up with another spray two weeks later. It's what's happening in springtime when the small little crawlers come out from underneath the scale and find a new location and they spread in that mid-late spring period. So you need to do something then, but right now will help if you put on an oil spray and wage war on ants. Ants move the scale from one place to another, and so if you've got an ant problem, one of the ant gels and put that close to uh, where they're emerging out of the soil should solve that problem. Um, John, uh, can I save the fruit at all, or should I just cut it all off? Oh, no, no, it's on the outside, and you're, it's what's happening inside the skin that you're worried about, so it's not going to affect the flavour or the taste, uh, cause any particular problems. It's just uh, unsightly, and uh, it'll be interesting. If, if you can, take a, so, uh, uh, one of the uh, 
fruits to a garden centre and see whether they can diagnose which kind of a scale it is. <laughs> yeah, it's brown. <laughs> yeah, they're all brown. I won't say they're all brown, but yeah, there's a, a scale which is affecting figs, and that's a, a different kind of a scale mm. to the normal ones that affect citrus. But it could be you've got that uh, uh, the one that affects figs, and it's uh, it grows prolifically, mm. and you really do need to wage war on it. So off to war, Mariana. Yes, I will do the best I can because they're just, it's beautiful, you know. It's always had really good fruit and this year it's like a real shock. And I noticed that the ripening has been really slow as well. Yeah, okay. Well, that's not the scale, that's the season. Thanks, Mariana. Uh, the winners of our ABC Gardening Australia magazines are Donald in Woodville and Lorraine in Gawler. Congratulations. Roxy in Harndorf, you want to get rid of some ivy? Yes, yes, I've got a lot of ivy at our new place and some of the like rooty part type things are as thick as your arm. So and, uh, I just uh, wondered, um, is it growing, uh, is it large leafed ivy or small leafed ivy? Oh, but, now that is a distinction I don't know. Oh, okay, well sometimes okay. The, the leaves are as big as a hand uh, no, and others no, are a no, little small. small. Okay, right, yeah. and is it growing up something or over something or yeah, is it... It's, growing in and out of a whole load of rocks so right. and uh, it, I don't want it there. Okay well listen I think your best thing to do is to uh, get hedge clippers or something secateurs and chop it all back chop it back as hard as you possibly can remove as much yep. of the material as you can and then yep. do nothing until springtime and in springtime, oh, you'll find that there's strong new growth coming and if you spray yep. that new growth with glyphosate one mm-hmm. of the glyphosate uh, sprays, um, you'll find that that's systemic and it will get in. If you try and sort of spray it now, it won't work. But if you uh, you can't get enough chemical into effect, to affect the root system. So cut it back, that sets it back, and when it comes into new growth, spray it with glyphosate and you might have yep. to use a follow-up spray uh, uh, after you put on your first application, maybe about six weeks later. Lovely. Thank you very much. Thanks, Roxy. (laughs) Thank you. And just very quickly, Helen from Kingscote, you want to know if your Japanese maple needs pruning now? Yes, that's right. A Japanese maple. Uh, Ideally, I'd be waiting until the leaves drop off. Has it still got its leaves or are the leaves looking tatty? the, The leaves are all gone and there's just little new shoots just starting. Right-o. Like little, little shoots all over it. Oh, right Well, I wouldn't do anything until winter. Um, if it's coming out with new shoots, you need to see what happens. If they come out and they uh, they form, uh, that will give you a good start for next season. But if you want to reshape it or do anything to it, uh, do that in sometime probably in late July or early August. Helen, thank you very much. We're out of time this morning. Uh, Jamie McElwain sends a thank you to all listeners that attended the SA Landscape Festival last weekend, says it was extremely successful and each garden saw over 100 people more than the last festival in 2021. Oh, that's brilliant. I meant to talk to uh, Jamie during the week. I just ran out of time. <laughs> well, now you know it went well. <laughs> and, and again, I'm running out of time now. <laughs> and soil temperatures, John, where oh, are they sitting yeah, at the se- moment? Yeah, between 16 and 17. They've dropped about a degree on last 
last week. And each week uh, they're dropping, and as we get more showers, the showers are making the soil cooler and dropping soil temperatures. 16 degrees below that, I wouldn't be planting citrus. So probably it's your last weekend to plant your citrus and your tropical-type plants, and uh, then uh, we're into winter when uh, you can plant your deciduous plants probably uh, during that winter period. But uh, 16 to 17 degrees is uh, across uh, the three centres that we do at Walkerville, at uh, Glenelg and Gawler. Okay, well, it's a beautiful weekend for gardening, John, so I know where you're going to be. Okay, and I'll just say, until next week, good gardening.